Welcome to Sealing God's People with your host, Dennis Beard. We've been talking about the tradition of the elders that's made the Word of God in effect. Well, there's a lot of traditions out there. And one of the first things that we're all told that when we join a denominal church basically is that uh, say the sinner's prayer, you're saved. Or ask Jesus to come into your heart, you're saved. And there's nothing more. There's nothing about sanctification preached anymore in the cross where you mortify the deeds of the flesh in order to do the will of God. And then they tell you that any, any minute, the imminent return of Jesus can happen any minute, any second, you must be ready. Well, this is what's preached in most fundamental as well as Pentecostal churches. But then we find when we examine the Word of God that it's more tradition that has been let down through the years as truth, which is a false doctrine. And there are many seducing spirits in the last days and doctrines of devils. Now notice when Peter had the keys to the kingdom in Matthew 16. No sooner than he had received that than Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Peter, feeling pretty good about himself, not so, Lord, and forbidding to go. Now notice the Lord's response. Get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get thee behind me, Simon Barjona, because you're in the flesh and I'm using your uh, earthly name. I'm not giving you the name that I have given you, Peter. And uh, they're lightly reprove or rebuke and correct him. But straightforward said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest the things of men and not of God. In other words, if we lean to our own understanding, then those ways that seemeth right to a man and the end thereof are the ways of death. And Satan is the perpetrator. He's going to allow the word there and twist it up that will appeal to the, the natural mind, to the natural thinking of mankind. If God is love, well, then uh, everything will be blessed in prosperity. Uh, there'll be peace on earth, goodwill toward men, which it is. But we find that the flesh that we are in there is an enemy of God. Therefore, we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that Christ dwelleth in us. That is, that seed remaineth in us, that seed is Christ. So whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, even though we come short of the glory of God, but we're pressing toward that mark. And through sanctification of the Spirit of God and belief of the truth, we're saved. That requires us to be obedient, obedient unto righteousness. That is Romans 6. Anyone that says we don't have to be obedient because that is works of the law does not understand grace. Grace reigns through righteousness. Now, righteousness is not just being right. If you ask most ministers, what is righteousness? They'll say, well, that which is right. Well, 
uh, in a Webster's Dictionary, that may be true, but not biblically. Righteousness is by faith. The righteousness of God is by faith, which has to be obeyed. And that faith that has been dealt to every man is according to the individual will and purpose of God for that individual particular believer. For example, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers or workers of miracles or governments or helps or whatever. There is a specific calling on each individual member in the body of Christ, and we must find that will of God and do it if we do not. And think it's just a general faith and everybody's saved and this asks Jesus to come in your heart and everybody's going to heaven. Or you said the sinner's prayer, whatever the case is. That everybody's going, which is a blatant lie. Because we see in the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we have a constitution, we need to study that constitution and make sure we understand the bylaws of the kingdom. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached upon the face of this earth by our Lord Jesus, God Almighty, himself in the days of his flesh, gave us the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, what constitutes the kingdom of heaven, and who will make it and who will not. And he starts that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In that we find that it's not only what we call the Beatitudes, but in Matthew 6, he talks about where your treasure is. There's your heart also. And except a man forsaketh all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. How straight is this gate? How narrow is this way? Well, straight is a gate, narrow the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Why? Doesn't God want everybody to be saved and make it very easy? Well, the the way of a transgressor is hard. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And to believe the testimony that God gave of his son, that is, that he sent his word into this world, which proceeded from the Father, which is the same spirit, the Father of glory, and was made flesh. And that word of God dwelt with us, tabernacled with us, was one of us, as an Adam after the fall as our kinsman redeemer. Now he showed us the way, the truth, and the life. And we see in 1 Peter 4, verse 1, that Peter in his epistle tells us, For as much then Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, in the days of his flesh, God had made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. He's still God, always has been God, and always will be God. But in order to redeem mankind back to himself, he took on a body of flesh and blood. And he states that even in the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 43.10, thus saith the Lord, that's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the Lord Jehovah God Almighty, the invisible spirit of God, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent spirit of God. And he states, thus saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, 
Now that definitely sounds like there's two. You have chose someone, you would think that's a different person. But God said, no, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is and in my revelation of who I am and what I'm doing in the work. And he says, thus saith the Lord and my servant, whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me, not believe uh, these ecumenical councils and synods that we have followed over the centuries in a Trinitarian doctrine or a binary tunis or even a oneness doctrine where the man's not God, but has God in him. That he says, God himself said that you may know, we all know this Godhead, and understand, he wants us to understand it, and believe me, not these ecumenical councils, not these doctrine of divinities and PhDs of theology, but believe the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, Christ himself, believe it that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, God said. I, the Lord God Almighty, self-existent, eternal spirit of God, am he, the servant of God. Somebody said, well, that just can't be. It doesn't sound right. But it is right because it's thus saith the Lord and the Holy Ghost. And it's written in the word of God to believe on that testimony that God gave of his son, and he states that in Hebrews 1, and he states, unto the Son, he saith, what does he say to the Son? Thy throne, O God, well, there's only one God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, lawlessness. That means the man, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, obeyed everything, not doing his own will, but always doing the will of the Father, the Spirit that he is, and pleasing God Almighty. Though he is that Spirit, he has made himself of no reputation in the days of his flesh, being one of us, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. But the key to understanding that is he is the Spirit of God. He comes into the world. To do that, to redeem mankind, he has to become one of us. We have to have a kinsman redeemer. We have to be a man made in under the law to redeem us that were under the law. Well, he's spirit. He can't die. He has no blood. And he can't be tempted. So what does God do? He looked for a man. He looked at all that had sinned and come short of the glory of God, none good, no, not one, all conceived in sin, shaping in iniquity. And he was amazed there was no man. Therefore, he said, my own arm, the arm of flesh, brought salvation unto me. That is God speaking, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God is Christ. That's the mystery. We can say Christ was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, Christ. Because Christ is both the Spirit of God and the flesh that he manifested in, in the days of his flesh. You see that revelation of Christ, which is the Christology. And these truths are biblically the only way, truth, and life that we can inherit the kingdom of God. There's no other way. 
and it is a mystery, but it's now revealed. Ephesians 3, Paul stated that. And he stated that the mystery of Christ, which before was a mystery, it was hidden from the prophets. They spoke diligently of the grace that should come unto us by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. That's a capital S. All of the Old Testament prophets, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the way to Malachi, all of them spoke of the Christ that should come. But they spoke it by the Christ that was in them, the Spirit. And they prophesied by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. That's 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. And that is Christ, first and foremost, is the Spirit of God. He is the self-existent, eternal Lord Jehovah, God Almighty, the Elohim, from the Allah through the Tav, and all the attributes of the Spirit. He is all. He is every attribute of the Spirit of God. How did he took that whole that he is in all his majesty and attributes, being equal in every attribute of God. We see that in Philippians 2, 5, and 6. That Jesus says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul speaking, who being in the form of God. Now, form is morpha. When you study morpha, it is a, an eternal state of being. It never changes. It is and always will be a morpha or morphed in that state of being, in that state of glory, in that state and essence, intrinsic value, that he is that spirit. And it states there, Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery or something to be grasped upon to be equal with God. Now that is their curious verse. And we wonder what? Not made equal, but to be equal. That he is that spirit, but not in just one attribute of love or power or wisdom or understanding or peace or any of the attributes of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God in all his attributes, but made himself of no reputation. That lets us know that Jesus did not take one attribute that he had as spirit, always has been, and always will be, creating all things, as uh, stated by Colossians 1, 16 and 17, that all things were made by Jesus Christ, whether it be thrones, principalities, powers, things visible and invisible. All that has ever been created is by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the Father. He is the Elohim. We see that, that he is the Alpha and Omega. That's the Greek from the A to the Z in the English alphabet or in the Hebrew alphabet. He is the Aleph through the Tav. The Old Testament written in Hebrew, for the most part, 
says, Bereshit, Barah, Elohim, eight, Hashemayim, Bayert, Hayerts. Seven Hebrew words. But we find that the center Shamash, that fourth word, of which three on each side, and the Shamash are the one in the middle, had literally holds the other three on each side. That's the sevens of God. And that fourth one is the Shamash, or the servant, branch on which everything is and hangs upon that servant branch of the Shamash. And we find that in that Genesis 1, verse 1, in the Genesis in the beginning, we find in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, then the original Hebrew, there are seven words there, and the center word of which is the center focal point of the word of God in the beginning. We find Bereshit in the beginning. Barak created Elohim, plural of Eloah. That is all the attributes of God from A to Z. Well, how did God create the heaven and the earth? In the beginning, Bereshit, Barak created Elohim, eight. Alav Tav. Now that Alav Tav is that fourth word in that first statement, first sentence in the Word of God. The Alav Tav is the Hebrew ABC diary, which is the longest chapter in the Word of God. It is Psalm 119. And Jesus declares that he is that Alpha and Omega in Revelation 1.8, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew, Allah through the Tav, he is all the attributes of God from A to Z. He states that in Revelation 1.8. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, was, and is to come, the Almighty, the Almighty God, Revelation 1.8. Well, Jesus, who being in the form of God, right there in Genesis 1, verse 1, states, birth sheet, in the beginning, Barak created Elohim, that center Shamas, eight, Allah Tav, that he created all. Well, who is this Jesus? He's the Allah Tav. He's the A to the Z. He is the Alpha and Omega that all God is, was, or ever will be, and every attribute, and always has been, and always will be, God is, was, and is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1 8. Well, that's what God is revealing now. We have turned from the only true God of the Shemash, the center point, focal point of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We've turned from it. That he alone is God and there's not another. And he's the invisible, the spirit of God that's always been God. But in the days of his flesh, he made himself visible. Manifest, seen, handled of the Word of God. How do we do that? How do you use, see, and handle the Word? Well, First John 1 verse 1 tells us that's exactly what happened and who Jesus is. And he says that in his epistle in First John 1 verse 1. Seen, handled of the Word of life. 
but we don't, and many have not turned to believe that, that he's the God Almighty. So, in the last revelation of Jesus, of King of kings and Lord of lords, written upon his thigh, name written, King of kings, Lord of lords, all capital letters, the work of God finished. What is it? Revelation 19, 13, on his vesture dipped in blood. Who is this Jesus? And his name is called, invoked, the word of God. Everyone will know that he's God at that time, that he is and always has been. Jesus, the father of glory, the Lord Jehovah God Almighty, and there's not another. And judgments are in the earth, Jeremiah 8, verse 7. The crane and swallow observe the time of their coming, and the stork observes her time. But my people, God says, does not know. They do not know the judgment of the Lord. And what's judgment? Judgment is the way that God reveals through his famine, pestilence, sword, and noisome beast in the last days his identity, who he is. He is essence and intrinsic God, Spirit, Almighty that always has been and always will be the omniscient, omnipotent God Almighty who is uh, omnipresent everywhere and always has been and created all things. That's Jesus Christ and him only. That scribe asked Jesus, what's the first dominant commandment of all? Mark 12, 29. Jesus said here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might. Second is likened to it, love your neighbors yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Here's your revelation. And it is the center focal point of the word of God in that revelation. In Genesis 1, it states it, verse 1. Bereshit, in the beginning, Barah, created, Elohim, all the plurality of the attributes of God from the, the aloft to the top, the A to the Z, the Alpha to the Omega. The next word is the center, the fourth word of which the other three words on each side, Bereshit, Bra, Elohim, Hashemayim, Bayert, Hayertz, Hashemayim, the heaven, Bayert, and uh, Hayertz, the earth. There we have in the center focal point in those seven Hebrew words, the middle one of which all hang, and that is the focal point of the word of God, he is the aloft to the top. That's the eight. Now, that's not transliterated in the English Bible. It just simply says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he did. And we find in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, that Jesus Christ created all things. Whether it be principalities, powers, thrones, all of these, things visible, invisible, everything that God created was by himself, that spirit, Jesus Christ. So he's in the form of God. They didn't think it robbery to be equal with God in every attribute, but made himself of no reputation. Now that is how grace reigns. Grace reigns not by itself, but grace reigns through righteousness. The righteousness of God is that he that knew no sin 
became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And it's not of the works of the law lest any man should boast, but it's the righteousness of God by faith. And we're saved by grace through faith. Are you saved and not of works lest any man should boast? But that faith has to be obeyed. It's not something that you can just say, well, I love Jesus. I've asked him to come into my heart. Therefore, I'm saved. No, you have to obey. And that is why in Romans 5, by one man's disobedience, sin came to the world and death by sin. Therefore, by one man shall my servant make many righteous. As the offenses of one, so also the free gift is of one. A man lost it. Only a man can redeem us back. We're told that God begot another spirit, Junior, in heaven before the foundation of the world. That's in the Chalcedonian definition in an ecumenical council in 451 A.D. in that synod, stating that the Son of God, quote, the Son of God, according to his Godhead, was begotten of the Father before the foundation of the world, unquote. That's a total deceptive lie. There's no spirit senior that begot a spirit junior. There's only one spirit of God, one body, one spirit, in whom you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who's above all, Father of us all and in us all. The Father's in us all. That's Christ. So that's a mystery. And the mystery is now being revealed. It was revealed by his holy apostles and prophets, as stated by Paul in Ephesians 3. He said, this mystery of Christ has been hidden from the ages as it is now revealed by his holy apostles and prophets. And God, in that further work of the ministry, it's all Christ always has been Christ and always will be Christ alone. And that Christ is in us. And that is the last Christ generation. You'll see that in Matthew 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And when you see that from Abraham to David, there's 14 generations. And from David to the carrying away into Babylon, 14 generations. But from the carrying away into Babylon unto Jesus is 13 generations or 41st generation. Of whom was born Jesus, 41st, who is called Christ, 42nd generation. Why is that a differentiation? Because Jesus, who is called Christ, Christ is not his surname. Christ is the the anointing, the Spirit of God, and now the church, the body of Christ, that body which is of Christ, will be in the fullness of the measure of the statue of Jesus in the Christ generation. When Jesus referred to this generation shall not pass away until all these things, things of faith, be revealed. That's all truth. And that generation should be counted for the seed. That seed is Christ. To understand all parables, we must understand the basic 
principle and parable of the, the, the sower and the seed. Jesus stated that, Matthew 13. And how will you understand all parables if we don't understand that? But we have hewn out cisterns in which can hold no water. They're clouds, they appear to be Christians, but they hold no water, no water of truth. They are trees, not planted by the waters, but twice plucked up by the roots. And we're called these Christians, which have violated the word of God and transgressed the law of the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. And because they've done that, the Lord's judgment there is in the earth not to destroy all mankind, but to get mankind to repent. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the ones that do not, and repent not of their evil deeds, of which they have ungodly committed, will, there against the will of God, be cast into hell. And that is Gehenna, the second death. So we are to give the more earnest heed to these scriptures lest at any time one should slip and we should come short of entering into his rest. Hebrews 4. At rest remaineth an eternal rest to the people of God. Jesus spoke of another day. If Jesus had given them rest at that time, he would not have spoken of another day. They say the day, the time is coming. That the dead, the dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God. But notice the way he states that. This time is coming, and now is. It's a present proceeding word of God. The time is coming, future, and now is. The proceeding word of God. That that voice of the Lord. Now, where the where is that voice? The voice of the Lord God, and how do we hear it, and how do we obey it? But Jesus stands at the door of our heart. said, I stand at the door and knock. Knocking on our door of our heart. Not intellectually, but in our spirit. The human spirit of man, the conscience, communion, and the, the intuition of man. And he says, if any man will hear my voice, we have to hear it. That means we have to tune in to that frequency of God in the spiritual realm. Now, natural man cannot receive these things. And by doing that, he said, if any man will hear my voice, and then it requires us to open the door, the door of our heart. Then he said, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Now, God's judgments are in the earth, famine, pestilence, sword, and noisome beast with greater frequency and intensity, not to destroy mankind, but to get us to return to the true God and eternal life, Jesus Christ, that is not a trinity, not a binary, or twoness, or not a oneness. Where the man is uh, on the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, but that man's not God, but is the spirit that's in the man. Well, they have put Jesus before the cross. And how do they do this? Simply, that they're saying that God is still in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That whenever you pray, that Christ, the man, goes to Father, the Spirit, and say, Father, forgive them because I died on the cross, and will you forgive them? No. 
Because John 16, Jesus states, I will know more, speaking Proverbs. But that time is coming. I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. The time now is. I'm not going to speak anymore in Proverbs. I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. And he goes on and says exactly what that righteousness is. Now, why is that important? Because grace reigns through righteousness. And the righteousness is that he that knew no sin became sin for us. But he didn't stay there. He was resurrected from the dead, declaring that he is God Almighty. Declared to be the Son of God through the Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Now, he came under the law to redeem us that were under the law. He was an Adam after the fall. We see that in Galatians 4, verse 4. God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made in under the law, not above it, to redeem us that were under the law. There they came under the law, the spirit of God. To do that, he had to make himself of no reputation. He has to make void all of his attributes because a man lost it. Only a man, an Adam, can redeem us back. He's got to be a kindred redeemer. The spirit can't die. The spirit can't be tempted. He had to have a man. He couldn't find one. Isaiah 59, 16. Isaiah 63, 5. God said he was amazed he could not find a man. Therefore, his own arm of salvation, his own arm, body of flesh, what? Brought salvation to me. That is God speaking there in Isaiah 63, 63, 5. Well, there in the days of his flesh, it's Emmanuel, God with us. We see that in Isaiah 7, 14. A woman, a virgin shall conceive, bring forth a child and call his name Emmanuel. God with us, not son of God with us, God with us. And that is that mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Not the Son of God manifest the flesh. God himself was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16, justifying the spirit. And then seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. God was himself. Emmanuel, God with us. But the key to understanding how God wrought salvation in and of himself alone is that he is that spirit and being in the form of God, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. He is not uh, counted robbery to be equal with God, the Allah through the Tav. He is that Alpha to the Omega. He is the Allah through the Tav, the A to the Z, and all the attributes of God, as we see in Revelation 1 8, as in Genesis 1 verse 1. Bereshit Barah Elohim, in the beginning created God, Allah Tav. That's the all the attributes of God from the Allah through the Tav in the longest chapter in your Bible of Psalm 119. Jesus claims that he is that Allah through the Tav in every attribute of God. And when you see Psalm 118 in that Hebrew ABCDary, you'll find the Allah is all capitalized. The Bet, the Bait, the second letter, all capitalized. Gomel, all capitalized. Daleth, the door, all capitalized, all the way through the top, all capitalized. Why? Because it's deity, it's God and his attributes. But we find under each of the Hebrew ABC letters, we find eight verses. 
Eight is the number of new beginning. Eight, we find, is one above seven. We find there's seven days a week, but on the eighth day is the new beginning. That's the reason why it says in Ezekiel Temple, in Ezekiel uh, 40 on through 48, it says, and after the eighth day, I will receive you. Because that's the new beginning. And every letter from the aloft through the top in Psalm 119, which is the attributes of God, which Jesus is, has eight verses under it because he is the new beginning. He is the one that was dead and is alive forevermore. Yea, he is the amen that is God himself and has victory over death and made a way for us to enter in also. Not that we're God or ever will be God, but that we will be adopted sons and daughters of God because of what he did in the days of his flesh. So there, he had to become one of us in order to redeem us. He is and always has been the Almighty God. He is that aloft top in Genesis 1 verse 1. That's the center focal, the fourth word, Bereshit, Barah, Elohim, there's three, eight, Aloftav. That's the center Shamash, that's a servant, that's the center focal of the seven Hebrew words, Hashemayim, the heaven, Bayert, and Hayert, the earth. Three on each side, but the center focal is the Aloft through the Tav. Jesus is that aloft to the top, and God said, let there be light. The Word created all, which is the Spirit of God, which is the Father of glory, the Word, the Holy Ghost, one and the same Spirit. 1 John 5, 7. There's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But the Pharisees of today will say that, Jesus, you bear record of yourself, that you are the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, your record's not true, just as in John 8, 13. But God, through his judgments, is revealing that he is that God. And you'll see that when judgments are in the earth, men will learn righteousness. Now, the focal there is what is righteousness? Well, it's how grace reigns. Grace is not alone. It reigns through something. Through what? Grace reigns through righteousness. Sin reigned by death. Grace reigns through righteousness. That has to be taught. Which is Christ. Now, how does that work? Well, if grace reigns through righteousness, sin reigned by death, but now grace. How is that? And uh, that righteousness is how grace is affected in our lives and obtained by grace, through faith, are we saved? Well, we have to understand righteousness, the biblical righteousness, and that is revealed to us in John's gospel, and he states there, of course, we know that Jesus said, this is the bread from heaven, not as your fathers did eat and are dead, but he is that living bread that came down from heaven. And he says, except a man eat, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, he has no life. 
Now we go on, and Jesus is going to expound to us exactly what righteousness is. That's how grace reigns. So we have to know what righteousness is because grace reigns through that. And we go to John 16. And Jesus said, now I'm going to pray the Father to send you the Holy Ghost. And when that Holy Ghost has come, that's Jesus himself. Because he states there, there while he's in the days of his flesh, he's made himself of no reputation to take on his spirit, the form of a servant. He never ceased and desisted from being God, the spirit, but he came in under his own law, made under the law, added to himself, that is, the form of a servant, in under the law, made in the likeness of men, found in fashion as a man, God found in fashion as a man, humbled himself to the death, the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him. Jesus stated that in John 2, 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. No man can raise up his own body after he dies, except he be God. But that will prove that he is God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God, who is the Father revealed. The Son of God is not the Father. That is a separate separate office or function of the Spirit. But the Son of God is the Father revealed. The manifest Father. The Father is an eternal office of the Spirit in the self-existent, invisible Spirit of God. But the Son of God is that Spirit revealed. The Son of God in the days of his flesh had two components. He's the Spirit of God without measure, the Father of glory. Say me, you've seen the Father. The words that he spoke were not his, but the Father's. The Father that dwelleth in him, he was the one doing the works, not Jesus. He said, he that believeth on me, the man, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. That is on the Father. So Christ is that if you acknowledge a son, you automatically have the father because he is a father revealed, same spirit. He says that in John 10, 30, I'm my father of one. He says it again in there in 1 John, there in the John's epistle, that who is a liar, but he denied that Jesus is the Christ. What is Christ? Well, Christ is the spirit of God. But it's also Christ is the man not only the anointing, but the anointed. He's both. So therefore, who is a liar, but he denied that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Antichrist that hath denied both the Father, why? Because Christ is the Father. He is that invisible spirit of God, always has been. But then he made himself of no reputation, take upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. And therefore, he is also that Denied that Jesus is the Christ has not only denied the Father, but he's also denied the Son of God. Why? Because the Son of God is the Father revealed. 1 John 2.22 But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Now we understand. Christ, now the Son of God, is that Spirit. That Lord, Jehovah God Almighty, made himself of no reputation to take on him the form of a servant. But, he says there, while he's with them in the earth, he says to his disciples, he said, I will pray the Father to send you another comforter who the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know it, 
for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you to be orphans. I will come to you. Well, how? Because Jesus stated there in John 2.19, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, 46 years were they in building this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? Jesus spake of the temple of his body. And he's declared to be the Son of God, Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. He's declared to be the Son of God through the Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. That proves that he is God because he raised up his own body of flesh and blood. Then he says over there to the disciples that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Hmm. This is this Jesus spake of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's got to go back to the glory of the Father, becoming that quickening spirit, the Father of glory, glorified with the Father's own self, John 17, 5. Acts 2, 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that same Jesus whom you crucified, that man, God hath made him both Lord, Jehovah God Almighty, and Christ, the Holy Ghost, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there, Jesus stated there what righteousness is, and this is how grace operates. Grace reigns through righteousness, Romans 5. Well, what is righteousness? And there's the key to affecting grace and growing in grace. How can you grow in grace if you do not know what righteousness is? Because grace reigns through that righteousness. And in Romans 6, it says, Whosoever you yield your members as servants to obey, him are you the servants to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, which is uh, effectual grace working in you, the effectual working of grace upon your heart and your spirit, and its outward reflection in life as a living epistle. There, in John 16, Jesus states exactly what righteousness is and how we are affected by it and how that grace is the effectual working, but it's through the righteousness of God. He states in John 16, he said now that when the Holy Ghost has come, that's when he's glorified, that's whenever he has been resurrected. Resurrection wasn't glorification. Mary came to the tomb. And Jesus told Mary, don't touch me, don't hold me. I go to my God and your God, my Father and your Father, for I have not yet been glorified. He's already resurrected. She's holding on to him. But then he is glorified. The Spirit of God itself, he's going to be walking on the road to Emmaus and vanish. Well, we find that right after that in John 20, verse 22, Jesus breathes on his disciples after his glorification, not just resurrection, but glorification. 
and breathed on his disciples and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the man is the Holy Ghost. He breathed on him and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sends you remit, they're remitted. Whosoever sends you retain, they're retained. And that acts that first chapter. He said, wait in this upper room until you be endued with power from on high, not many days hence, to receive the promise of the Father, that's the Spirit of God, which saith he, you've heard of me. I'm going to be in you. I'll not give you covers. I will come to you. Hmm. That's the Spirit, Jesus Christ, that God in Galatians 4, verse 6, that has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, capital S into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So what is this righteousness? Jesus states it very plainly in John 16. This is how grace reigns. And to have grace effectual working in your life, we have to understand righteousness, how you can grow in grace. That's affected there, in and through you, through obedience unto righteousness, unto holiness, through these exceedingly great and precious promises that are given to us, whereby we are made partakers of his divine nature. And we escape the corruption of the world through lust, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove that good and perfect will of God for each one of us, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God that worketh in us both willing to do of his good pleasure, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the mystery of godliness. Now, Jesus in John 16 states, now, when that Holy Ghost has come, it's his spirit. He says he's going to reprove the world of sin because they receive, they believe not on me, Jesus said, of righteousness. Focus on that righteousness. That's how grace reigns. Romans 5, grace reigns through righteousness. Well, what is that righteousness? He'll reprove the world of righteousness, the Holy Ghost will, because I, the man, goes to my father, not around him, not beside him, but to him. Very important. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now he goes on and says, I will no more speak to you in Proverbs. Because he spoke in Proverbs because the office that was hidden there is that office of Christ, which is the father which is God Almighty himself, the Christ, the Spirit. We see that in Colossians 2, verse 1 through 9. And we have to have the full acknowledgement of this mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. That is not three. God is the Father. God is Christ. Christ is the Father. Father is Christ. It's one and the same. And he states, in him are hid. Why did God hide it? because only those of a pure heart are going to see it. In him are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let no man spoil you through vain deceit at the philosophy of man, at the tradition of the world, at the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. You have to be established in the doctrine of Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. One body, all the fullness of the Godhead Dwelleth there is a permanent dwelling, katakeo. Greek word means to house permanently forever. And we find that in Isaiah 43.10. He states that. 
Thus saith the Lord, that's the invisible spirit of God, and my servant, that servant whom I have chosen. Who is that? Well, that is the man. He took on him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, found in fashion as a man, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Isaiah 43, 10, that you may know and believe me and understand, understand this Godhead, that God said, I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. God formed himself a body of flesh and blood. The son of God is that father revealed. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall be after me. Read it. And he says, see now that I am God, thy savior, the Lord, thy redeemer, the holy one of Israel. Because we've turned from that, God's judgments in the earth to come and let us return to the Lord. Hosea 6, 1, because he's torn, he'll heal us. He's smitten and he'll bite us up. After the second day, he will revive us. He's wanting us to return to the true God and eternal life, the revelation of Jesus Christ that he alone is God. That's the last book in your Bible. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, was, and is to come. The Almighty, Revelation 1.8. He is that aloft tov in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the center shall of the shamash of the servant branch of which the whole word of God is built upon that revelation of Jesus, the aloft of the tov, that all that he is from A to Z. Bereshit bra Elohim 8, aloft tov. Longest chapter in the word of God, Psalm 119. Jesus is that spirit. Always has been and always will be. But he made himself of no reputation. Why? There, laid aside all of his glory. Because he's going to take on him the form of a servant. And that servant is the father of glory. The Lord Jehovah God Almighty. That is, he is the wonderful counselor of the mighty God, the everlasting father. The Prince of Peace. Who is that? That's uh, to us. A child is born to us. A son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulder. Isaiah 9, 5. And Isaiah 9, 6 tells us who Jesus is. The wonderful, the counsel of the mighty God. Not the mighty Son of God. The everlasting Father. Not the everlasting Son. And those that have the true revelation of Jesus will abide in that doctrine of Christ. And if a man, any man, abide not in that doctrine of Christ, he hath not God. 2 John 9. So what is this grace that reigns through righteousness? Jesus said in John 16, I'm going to tell you point blank. He said, I'm not going to speak to you anymore in Proverbs. I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. Nothing hid. I'm going to show you plainly that in this hiding of God, the, that mystery, the mystery of God, the Father of Christ, in him are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, now I'm going to reveal it all to you. I'm going to show it to you. Paul said he's now revealing it to his holy apostles and prophets. Ephesians 3, he said it. All that mystery of Christ that's been hidden is now revealed. All those Old Testament prophets searched diligently into that grace that should come unto us by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. And that, what? Foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Well, we see that in 1 Peter 1, verse 10, 11. What is this righteousness which grace reigns by, which if we do not have it, we have no grace? And that grace is the effectual working of the Holy Ghost through righteousness. It reigns through righteousness, Romans 5. 
It has to be obeyed under righteousness, Romans 6. And many have missed that mark, and especially in the denominational church world, because we've gone through a cookie-cutter religion, and we have let back and left the tenets of faith of the basic doctrine of Christ. Unfortunately, there we have found ourselves in this dilemma. But that's okay. God is going to do a work, a strange work, bring to pass his act, a strange act, to reveal through judgments who he is. The essence of that is revealed. Is this not sealed up among my treasures, saith God in Deuteronomy 32? For the Lord will judge his people. The judgment of God. Here we go. Why? Because he's going to reveal who he is to his people. For the Lord will judge his people. This is what's sealed up among God's treasures. For the Lord will judge his people. Peter stated, judgment must first begin at the house of God. Judgment, the Lord said, I will, will judge my people. And he said, judgment first begin at the house of God. And then Deuteronomy 32, and he said, the Lord will judge his people and repent himself of the evil, the wrath, the trouble, the tribulation. When he sees their power's gone, not Holy Ghost power, their power, they'll come to the end of their flesh. And there's none shut up or left. That means that we have crucified the flesh and mortified the deeds of the flesh there that Christ can shine through us. It's the Christ generation. That should be counted for the seed, which is that 42nd generation of Matthew 1. Now, those that have the Spirit of God going on to perfection understand that in full maturity. That's where we are. But this effectual working of grace, as stated by Jesus himself in John 16, he goes on and elaborates. I'm not going to speak anymore in Proverbs, Jesus said. I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. Nothing's going to be hid. I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. And he goes on and tells how and explains it. Very uh, explanatory, saying that I proceeded from the Father. Well, let's say we have a water of river flowing, and it's going to come down a waterfall into a river. Well, the river's up here. It's going to go over a waterfall, and the river will be down there. The same water that proceeds from the top is the same water that is revealed in the, uh, the bottom. Well, at the elevation, God is that spirit, and he said that he proceeded from the Father, saying that and came into the world. Who did? God did. He proceeded from the Father. He came from God, that spirit. It's not a different spirit. It's not flesh. It's no divine flesh. That'd be an oxymoron. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. But he proceeded from the Father and came into the world. He goes back to the Father, not around him, not beside him. He goes back to, and we'll see that in Revelation 3.21. He said, him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's the place I prepared for you. But where did you go, Jesus? Even as I overcame and am set, S-E-T, not S-I-T, not set down in position. It's not positional. But I'm set, S-E-T, forever settled state of glory. The word forever settled in heaven. That is God himself. 
And he said, even as I overcame and am set, that is glorified with the Father's own self, set down with my Father in his throne. All power in heaven and earth given to him, Matthew 28, 18. Now you're getting the true Christ. Now you're getting that one God. Now you're getting the revelation of the Christ who is every office of the one spirit of God, not a trinity, not a two-ness, not a oneness, but the spirit Christ himself. And Jesus said, I came from, forth from God. I'll go back to God. Now look at John 16. As we turn over there, we're going to see that Jesus makes some statements there. And we know before that when they asked Jesus, what's the time of your coming? He said at that time that the angels of God know not, not even the, the son of God doesn't know the time or the hour, the day nor the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, but only my Father which was in heaven. Only the Father knows. But look, there, after he reveals who he is, the Father of glory, nothing hid anymore, notice what he says in John 16. Now he goes and he says that uh, I'm not going to speak anymore in Proverbs, I'm going to show you plain to the Father. That's John 16, verse 25. Now, he goes on and says, There, at that day, verse 26, that's its glorification. At that day, you shall ask in my name. What day? The day that he's glorified. The day that all power in heaven and earth is given to him. The day when the man Christ Jesus, that man you crucified, is made both Lord and Christ, the Spirit of God. When that man, Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, is made, that last Adam is made a quickening spirit, not a God-man, but a quickening spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, the Lord is that spirit, not a spirit man, spirit. Well, somebody said, well, he's coming back. In bodily form, yes, he is. He can and always has. Uh, and there, when dying on the cross and the mediator of the new covenant, there he is, that quickening spirit. Who's making intercession for you? He says right there in uh, John 16, verse 26, at that day when he's glorified with the Father's own self, becoming that quickening spirit, the Lord is that spirit, spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. At that day, you shall ask in my name, not Father in the name of Jesus, just ask in my name, Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, Yeshua, ask in that name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. What? And somebody says, well, I think he's praying the Father. No, he's not. He is the Father. Why? Then he goes on and says, for the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you've loved me. If you love me, you love him that sent me. Because he is the Father revealed in the body, flesh, and blood. And have believed that I came out from God. He is that spirit come from God. He is the word that was made flesh. And he went back to that spirit. Not a man, but the spirit of God. A quickening spirit sat down with the Father in the throne. Now you're getting the true revelation of Christ. That is the true grace. 
because grace reigns at and through the grace comes to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter uh, one, they're telling us that the grace comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's revealed through his work. God manifests in the flesh that justified in the spirit. That's his righteousness. What he did and grace reigns through that whole work that he did and leaving the throne of glory, making himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man, humbling himself to the death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath thou exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jehovah God Almighty, only one Lord, and to the glory of the Father. Now that is righteousness. That righteousness is how grace is affected in your life, that grace reigns through righteousness, which must be obeyed in obedience unto righteousness, unto holiness, Romans 6. So he said, I came forth from the Father. He's the Word. And God said, it's the Spirit of God, the Father. The Word coming in is the same Spirit as the Father. It's not a different Spirit. You see that in 1 John 5, 7. Three, the very record in heaven, the Father, Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. That is one, not whom, not a, a union, but heis, H-E-I-S, with a one and the very self-same spirit. It's a different function. Father is that uh, administrative office of the spirit, the omnipotent, omniscient, indivisible spirit of God. The word is the invisible spirit of God, but it's his thought, plan, purpose, and will. The word, somebody said, well, that's a spoken word. Well, the word spoken, but there the word was with God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. He hadn't spoken it yet. And the same was in the beginning with God. And God said, then it went out. What? God created. Who is that? Jesus Christ. It's not a different spirit. There's only one spirit. And the Holy Ghost. Well, that's the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of Jesus. That's the spirit of the Father. He sent forth the spirit of his son, Galatians 4, 6, into our hearts, our spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, one and the same. And 1 John 5, 20, the son of God has come, which is Jesus Christ, the spirit of God. Son of God has come and give us an understanding of him that is true. What? That's the father. And we are in him that is true. The father of glory, the spirit of God. How did we get there? Because Jesus died, rose again, went back, glorified the Father's own self, and given us of his spirit. That's the only way we could get it. No man come of the Father but by me, Jesus said. So righteousness is, he's God, became a man, death, burial, death, burial and resurrection, went back to God. That's righteousness. And now, in every step he took, he's the weight, truth, and life, and the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord through the leading of the Holy Ghost, Christ in you, the hope of glory, leading us into all truth, all life. And there's no other way. And Jesus said it. I came forth from the Father. He's that spirit and am coming to the world. God manifest, not the Son of God manifest, God manifest. And he said again, I leave the world and go to the Father. That's what Jesus said in John 8, 24. He told those Pharisees, I go my way, and whither I go, you cannot come. 
They said, where would you go? Will you kill yourself? The question is, where is your father? And Jesus stated plainly, John 8, 24, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. That's how grace reigns through righteousness, through the revelation of Jesus. There is no grace except through that revelation of Christ. Grace comes at the revelation of Christ. You'll see that again in, in 1 Peter 1, verse uh, there in, that, in the epistle of, of Peter, stating it very plainly that Christ is that spirit that he stated that he is in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. That's the foundation truth right there, which is the rock, the foundation of the church, and states that in verse 10, if receiving the end of our, our faith, even the salvation of our souls, verse 10, 1 Peter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets, all of them, have inquired and searched diligently and prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, capital S, which was yet in them, which was in them, did signify when it testified before him the sufferings of Christ. Christ is that Spirit, the anointing, but it's also Christ the man, the anointing, one and the same Spirit, and said, and the glory that should follow. Keep on going, and it says, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, the prophets, but unto us they did minister the things. Those are the things of faith. Faith is the substance of things so far, the evidence of things not seen, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost and sent down from heaven, which things the angel desired to look into. Wherefore, guard up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace, that is all the fullness of grace, that that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the end of it. Perfection. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You're mortifying the deeds of the flesh. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, obedience unto righteousness in Romans 6 will yield the peaceable fruits of holiness. Uh, they're the end of our faith, even the salvation of our soul. Grace reigns through this righteousness without the revelation of Jesus Christ, of the true God and eternal life, the one God, uh, there is no grace. And that is the message that God is now revealing to the church, the real body of Christ, to those that have an ear to hear. And that body's coming together now. God dealing with you. Then please contact me. The unity of the faith is coming to all of us now. This body being fitly framed together and compacted by whichever joint supplies for the edifying of itself in love, according to the measure of every part, every measure of faith. God putting this Christ generation together now. We need to hear from you. I'm not talking about a local church body. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Give me a call. Leave a message. I'll get back to you. 
Let's work together. I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, this is Brother Dennis Beard saying, Behold, the real Jesus.